Hello, and welcome to another podcast from Modern Homemakers. I'm here with Donna Otto, and today we're also with here with Dr- Gracie Doan. <laughs> uh, um, we are here today to talk about marriage and leaving it and cleaving as a couple. And if you feel brave, invite your husband to listen to this one. This is about couples, not just woman, wife, homemaker, like we typically talk to. So I guess this falls under wife as a couple. But yeah. today, talking about leaving and cleaving. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to have both of you here. And it's um, everything is different about this. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I like different that much. I think I say I do, but then when it comes to doing it. So for your listeners, I want you to know that may mean the differences will affect you a little bit as well. The idea of leaving and cleaving is a very holy one and a very big subject. And recently, it has come into my circle in a number of ways that pushed me to say, okay, let's talk about this a little bit. And so um, that's what we're going to do. But we're not only going to talk about leaving and cleaving. We're going to talk about the two-step, which we do here at Modern Homemakers all the time, the two-step. And we're also going to talk about loving God and loving others as you love yourself, loving God and loving others as you love yourself. So let's first talk about, hmm, what shall we do? Let's talk about leaving and cleaving first, okay? And I'm going to tell you that we're looking at some passages which will be posted so you'll be able to find them. So don't rush through writing down and miss what we have to say. The Leviticus passage, which is really the heart of this, which is found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And I want to tell you just a quick little story. I, uh, you know, if you've been around here at all, you know my intense fondness and love for Eugene Peterson, who is at home with Jesus, and I can hardly wait to be at home with both of them. He was a life changer, a game changer in my life. He wrote, um, he preached, he pastored, he did so many things and questioned them all in his autobiography, which was written by Wynne Collier. And we have an interview that's coming up. It will be aired in the fall that I did with Wynne after the book came out. Um, It was a profoundly um, open, honest life story that Wynne and Eugene talked through thoroughly before Eugene passed and went to heaven. And he writes in his book, and I recommend all Eugene Peterson's book, including the Message Bible, which is not a paraphrase, it's a translation, very different and important thing you should know. Um, But in his book called A A King Fisher's Catch Fire, as King Fishers Catch Fire. Not going to tell you why that title is what it is, but in his chapter uh, titled, well, it's actually the introduction to a series of chapters. All of these are his preaching, and this is a preaching in the company of David, the poet, the psalmist. And he speaks of the Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, and he tells this great story. He says, you know, how many of you have read through the Bible or started to read through the Bible and you get to Leviticus and you quit? And uh, hands went up all over the room. 
And then, of course, he's writing it now, and people must feel the same way. And he said, well, it's okay. Don't read it, except read Leviticus 19, verse 18. And that verse basically says that we are to love others as we love ourselves. Did you hear that? That's, that's before Jesus. That's a long time ago, Leviticus. And there are a lot of important things to read in Leviticus. But as he said, don't read it now. Don't read it after Genesis. Read it later. But get the primary verse, which is stuck in the middle of it almost, that we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So that led me to the leaving and cleaving and marital relationship And so I want to talk a little bit about those things. Do you love God? Do you love others? Do you love others and love God as you love yourself? And then probably parenthetically, do you love yourself? Do you know if you love yourself? Do you like yourself? Do you not like yourself? And do you know that if you don't like yourself, how you love others will reflect that? And it will be much harder to love someone truly if you struggle with yourself. So here I have... A Gen X X, and a Gen Z. And I, of course, am a boomer. The actually, actually, you know, Gracie, yours is the second, you're the second biggest now. We were 70, no, I think you're first biggest. We were 76 million and I think you are 77 million. Okay. So, so this is good because you're taking over. All the boomers, all the boomers who have been talking all these decades. You girls and guys are taking them over. So what do you know about leaving and cleaving? What do those words mean to you? Just jump in. Don't be shy. Yeah, leaving to me is leaving the family of your origin. And cleaving is a holy attachment to your husband. And it's not a... um, I don't know. I think we get sometimes hooked up on submitting to our husbands, but like we've talked about before, it's submitting to one another. And so cleaving is, uh, I get this picture of like hand in hand, like we're coming together. Good. Family of origin. Mm-hmm. Leaving the family of origin, and finding the new family with your husband. Okay. With your husband. See, so on a bunny trail, you know, what will happen is we'll get stuck right here and never, never get off the subject. But um, did you ask your husband to marry you or did he ask you to marry him? He asked me to marry him. Now, you're, you're Gen what? X. And you're Gen what? Z. How are they doing it in these generations? Are people, girls asking boys and boys asking girls? Or how, what does it look like? Um, from, like what I'm seeing with yeah. my friends, it's just much more casual now. Like, it's more of just a conversation and then a joint decision. And then, like, I've not had a lot of friends have a proposal where he, like, gets down on one knee and asks that way. Now it's more just they've been together for a certain amount of time and they just talk about getting married. And then it's made that way, the decision. Well, how do, how, how do they know that, they both I'm want not, to do that. I haven't you gone don't that know far. You're not there. <laughs> That's right. I, I mean, that was a trend for me as well, is that there was couples that they would discuss it, and mm-hmm. the man almost had surety that she would say yes, and then yes. there was some sort of Official. Thing. Yes. Okay. Yes. So my husband never asked me to marry him. He said, do you think we could do everything like, I don't remember the exact words, and so I said, I think so. And then he said, 
it, it's a deal. <laughs> it's a deal. And we still laugh about that. Yeah, it's a deal. But that was just as you said, you were talking about it. We, we had been talking about it. So you do come to a point. And now you, um, Grace, you, you're not married, you're not engaged, so you're still meeting people. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's kind of an important, uh, how do you get to, what would you say needs to be present before you would get to a conversation at that level? Ah, good question. I would say futures would have to be discussed, like what you want for your future, what they want for theirs, and make sure that it lines up. And um, just uh, similarity in morality and values and what you both want out of life, I think, need to be on the same page. Okay. And then where you want to live, maybe, what your plans are. Okay. Kind of of lots of decisions ahead. Mm -hmm. Now, you said something about leaving your family... Yes. Or your husband's leaving his family. So let's talk about that piece of it, because I think that's where the leaving and cleaving. Mm-hmm. What does that really mean? Leaving a family of origin. I mean, are you asking me what yeah, that I means am. to me? Yeah. I think, well, I think that the biggest obstacle to leaving your family of origin is was partially preference. Like I would prefer to spend Christmas the way I've always spent it since a little <laughs> since I was a little girl, and habit. You know, there were some things in that we had both of us brought into the marriage as habits that didn't work for us or didn't serve us once we were married with our families. Mm-hmm. Certain conversations you have with a parent, or even tasks that you once did around the house for your family that now you have your own home and what is that going to look like that that's where I felt like I felt the leaving I I think there was a lot more to it than that that's probably oversimplifying it but that's where that's where you felt it yeah and I'm now a grandmother entering this conversation and I remember one of our grandchildren don't remember which one I asked a question uh I've always known everything about my daughter. I mean, I'm like, ah, 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 ah. And I asked a question, and I think it was my granddaughter, actually. She said, well, that's family business. Mm. Yeah, well, your face did, Gracie, is what my head did. I went, yeah, well, I'm family, baby. <laughs> I started this family, you know. But that's that's what we're talking about. Because if either one of us... and. You're so right, Leah. I want to, you want to do what you're familiar with. And usually the woman does set some tone about celebrations and food and Christmas, of course, as gifts and activities. So making sure that everybody's included. But the point of it is, is the leaving. Mm-hmm. So we can't ask Gracie this question. How did you do with the leaving? How are you doing with it? I think it's a lifelong, I think it's a lifelong, and now that I'm older, yeah. I, I can say that because some of the things at our parents' end of life brought the same issue back. Who are we going to take into our house and take care of? Right. Well, maybe my mother, but not your mother. You know, right. that it, we didn't do that. But those were the questions. So the leaving and cleaving thing went on for a lifetime. Yeah, I think it's still continuous. I think I, we had something just last week that it, it was a miscommunication, but 
there are things that you feel more comfortable with your parents who have more experience. I must use I. I feel more comfortable with my parents because I know they have experience. So if I go to them to discuss it first before I discuss it with my husband, it doesn't feel good for him. So I think it's still, (laughs) it's still something we're learning because I didn't, I didn't know that that was a blind spot we still had. So it still rears its head up every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, you said that beautifully. Uh, This is a, a, a perfect articulation of it because it's not a um, demoralizing, diminishing thing of your husband. It's just the fact that they're older. They know more. Yeah. They did that before. Yeah. And so we had the same conversation. I can still remember it. My father, who bought, who knows how many houses bought and sold, who knows? And then he was in real estate and in construction. And I went to him about that. And David said, is he buying the house? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I Now, David is a word of few words, but they're always perfectly placed. (laughs) So um, did you talk about this much before you were married? Um, A little. We had some, we did do premarital counseling. And so there was a conversation about what healthy boundaries looked like with each family. And because my husband and I are both extremely close to our families. It's not like one of us was estranged from our family and we just had like one swooped the other one in. We're still really close with both of our extended families. So we had some discussion of it, but it's it's like everything. You really can't, um, you, you really don't know until you're in the relationship yep. and, and making those little decisions. Like I said, the thing that happened just a couple of weeks ago, I felt was totally innocent and then it just hit him differently and then I had to go and apologize and yeah, and do some, all those things. And sometimes it hit him yeah. that way before, but he didn't have enough courage right. to talk about it. Right. So now you're an unmarried girl, but I want to know, what have you seen? No family secrets here. You right, understand no. that, of course. <laughs> okay. But what, what? how have you seen that in your parents? So you have two um, sets of grandparents, mm-hmm. and I happen to know them, mm-hmm. and they're quite different. Mm-hmm. And, of course, mothers and fathers. Your mother and your father are quite different. That's what makes them attractive to each other. Yeah. You don't want to marry yourself. Mm-hmm. Remember that. Right. Do you agree? Lee and I have given you marriage Absolutely. counseling? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Just what you came for, right? So how have you seen that in your own household? Well, you're right. My mom's side of the family and my dad's side of the family are definitely very different. And I feel like I was able to learn a lot growing up and seeing what us as a family unit, our direct family, took from each side. Mm. And um, I'd say it was it like kind of a collaborative project um, for my parents. But I, yeah, I would say, I say they, they did a good, pretty good job from it. Um, we definitely switch off years when it comes to what family we see. Both of my parents' families live in a different country in Canada. So making plans to go see them or having them come for holidays is a huge planning process. It's a big commitment. So I we've always tried to go mom's side one year, dad's side the other year mm-hmm. to keep it to keep it fair. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. good. It is fair. And as you say, the observation as children mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> helps you understand that both are important, but not one more than the other. Right. And I do think now I'm going to be a woman here. And um, I think it's easier, even though the scripture really does say to us and the, that the first time we read that is in Genesis 
Um, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, I'm going to bunny trail and come back to the one flesh because I, as you might guess, have my own opinion about things. But um, they shall become one. And um, the man is leaving. And I think rather openly, and David and I have talked about this, so I'm not speaking out of school, he was more attached to his mama than I was attached to either of my parents or both of my parents. So I remember thinking that, oh, I was doing this pretty well because in the first place, I did not have good relationships with my parents. It was not a strong household. His was a stronger household. But it wasn't until we had been married a couple of years, a couple of years, and my mother-in-law, who I liked very much, and I was engaged with her, Whenever we were together, I would have time with her alone. And she said one day, Donna, dear, very small, mild woman, she said, I'm sorry about David's pants. Yeah, you know, you can take that a lot of ways when you're a young married woman. And I said, I'm sorry. I called her mother. Um, What do you mean? And she said, I never made him hang up his pants. And that had troubled her. That troubled her. Like, he's 30 years old. He's hanging up his pants. And I said, Mother, do you know how David feels about money? She said, yes. And I said, do you think he would leave his suit on the floor and get it wrinkled? He'd have to have it dry cleaned again. (laughs) So it absolved her completely. But I remember that because right on the heels of that, in one of those private lunches, she said to me, I think you're doing too much, and David is tired. And I could remember our going to their home and his acting like a little boy who was tired and wanted to tell his mama. I was livid. I was livid. I didn't do anything in public. I don't think I even did anything. I was smart enough, even then, to not do anything until the next day. But I said, whoa. So I think that I've always said this because I'm free to say it. I have no sons. You see, you have brothers, you have a son. I don't. So I think boys and their mothers have a very, it's it's universal. Mm -hmm. It's not any, you feel differently about your son than you do. And I think it's partly, and Lee and I were talking about this with my grandson. Mm -hmm. Everybody was worried that I was favoring him. He was the firstborn. Mm-hmm. I was favoring him. I said, well, I had him for two and a half years longer. But I said, I probably am because I know that he is going to go away. Mm-hmm. He will. He'll have his own life, his own career. Mm-hmm. He may move away. My, but my granddaughter and I will always have these girl things mm-hmm. getting from simple things like having your nails done and talking about hair. That's right. like common. So it's not that it's a bad thing to have that relationship. So when it comes to leaving and cleaving, though, it falls on the husband. Now, this is the Donna Otto theory. What does it mean to become one? What do you think it means, Leah? You've had to do it. So what do you think it means? I like having you two around. <laughs> and, um, and then I want you to tell me what you think, Gracie. Becoming one in... I, I think, first of all, I think becoming one is a lifelong process. It's a long, slow, refining process. I think when you're young and single, becoming one has a lot to do with physical intimacy 
and as you age and beautifully get, said <laughs> <laughs> we're g-rated around here mm-hmm. um and then as you age you go oh becoming one is far more complex than that it's sharing each other with each other emotionally um knowing even simple things of knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses and where you can come alongside and become a helper and where he's strong where you're weak and vice versa it's that mm-hmm. it's it's really i think it's one of the reasons that you start dressing the same because <laughs> you just think oh, no. you, both, you both have like this is what we're doing today we're doing the thing that we always do on this day we wear this and we go there and do that it's you begin thinking alike because you spend so much time with each other. It's very comfortable, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, it is. Okay, Gracie, what's your answer to that? Oh, well, um, I have not become one. Right. But I would imagine it's knowing another person as well as you know yourself mm-hmm. or something along that. Mm-hmm. Like the way you are familiar with how you function and all of you, like kind of what she was saying about strengths and weaknesses and everything the way you know yourself knowing another person and mm-hmm. like you know sharing one life together and mm-hmm. that's very that's good and I, I think you're both like spot on i think there's a misconception especially because we have this name so i'm not donna Santani anymore i'm donna otto mm-hmm. and so there's a a valid assumption or an obvious direction because we're becoming one we're becoming a new auto Mm -hmm. or i'm becoming a new auto david used to kid me and say you're never going to be a good little auto (laughs) because i was an italian stallion you know i mean i'm not not a stallion but an italian girl okay and um but i think it's more than that i don't think it's becoming like your husband or like you Mm -hmm. And it has to do with physical intimacy. That's why, and I am never sorry for saying, hold yourself as faithfully as possibly can hold yourself. Remember that God will forgive and forget, and it'll be okay. But if you can keep that treasure of a woman holding herself for one man, for one man, and I have had conversations with teenagers and young adults who say, yeah, do you mean you want me to be with one person for my whole life for the rest of my life? And of course, what TVs and movies tell you, that's absolutely ridiculous because it must be boring and and, 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 and. But the becoming one is a part of that, not only that. And that's why I say for those of you young women who have already done it with someone in the strangest place and you wish you hadn't or you're okay with it and you're going to get married and be fine ever after. But there is that oneness that comes with that first. And there is a name change, whatever that is. And now we're taking up both names. I think that's perfectly fine. I don't know if I'd be a Centani Otto or an Otto Centani, but I, I sometimes try to put them together like an Otto Tanny or uh-huh. a, a, just, just not Cent Otto. No, but it's more than that because David and Donna become a new one. Not, not David, not more like David, mm-hmm. not Donna, not more like Donna, but Donna is different and David is different and that one is the new one. We didn't become one, like you're one and I'm one and we come to, now we're both, we're one. No, mm-hmm. we become a new one. 
a okay. new one. No one's ever known these autos before. There are, there'll never be another David and Donna Otto, and the most of the world's glad for that. But, but <laughs> that that's the object, and I think what you added, Leah, is really important because it is more than uh, the intimacy. It is more than flowers and roses and Valentine's Day. It is more than giving birth. It is it is uh, the representative of an evolving person. You mentioned that, Gracie, getting to know someone. But you get to know that someone as they are. I think I've been married to eight or nine David Ottos. <laughs> like, he, he's evolving. And he, he was this young man who played tennis like a wild man. He doesn't play tennis at all anymore. So if David Otto is a tennis player, well, I'm in a lot of trouble because he's not playing tennis now. Mm. So that that evolution becomes the sweetest and best thing Um I'll get very verklempt about that because I think every season that David and I have walked through together is sweeter than the season before. Mm-hmm. And so I can't encourage the leaving and cleaving and becoming one more than the other. Okay, so well, we talk around here, and we're going to be short with this, uh, but we talk it all the time. It's the Texas two-step. What does God ask me to do? can't tell you how many people ask me that question. What does God really ask me to do? Not just my job or my proclivity or my spiritual uh, gifts or what my family did. Or What does God ask me, Donna Otto, to do? Two things. They're, they're, they're the most complex compound things in the world, but there are only two of them. Love God. Love me, your God. With how? With all your mind, with all your soul, with all your spirit. Not just a little of you, all of you. And when people say, you talk about God a lot, I think, well, if it's all of me, I guess I probably do. Or I show it all the time. Or it's all of me. And then he says, love God and love others. It's a Mm two-step. I tell the story many times, but David and I did the two-step. We love the two-step. We think it's the most, I think it's the most amazing dance. I'm a terrible dancer. My husband's a very good dancer. And we were in Amarillo, Texas. And it was the first time I ever saw the two-step like on the floor. And these women had costumes on, you know, those frilly skirts and dresses. Mm-hmm. And they were swinging and twirling and standing on. And I said to David, now you see, it's not just two steps. It can't be. Look at all that. But it is. And I I cried right there on the floor because I thought, that's what it's like. Everybody does it different. There were not two people dressed alike, doing it alike, the same. There is nothing like that. They're just two steps, go out and do it. And that's what it looks like. And so that's what I think God calls us to do. So in the cleaving and leaving process with a man or a woman, you have two steps, love God and love others. And then this Leviticus verse. Would one of you read it? Do you have a Bible to read it from? Leviticus 19 and 18. Thank you, Gracie. I'm going to let you do that. I'm handing it off to her. This verse um, is a really important verse. And the reason why I say it's important is that, once again, it's a premise that God calls us to, to pay attention to, to listen to. It's a phrase that we hear God say to us, and he wants us to listen to him saying it, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And I find when 
God repeats himself through Jesus. He's quite serious about this matter, whatever this matter is. And so he says to us in Leviticus, this book that you just want to give up and say, really, really, you want me to read this whole book with all of this data and information? Well, yes. Uh, So Leviticus 19, verse 18. Would you read that now that you have it, Gracie? I'm thinking this might not be the right. I do have it, but I... Leviticus nineteen eighteen. about mm-hmm. vengeance and grudges. I'm looking at his book right here, Leviticus 19. The, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of yes. the people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Okay. Yes. So we only took the, the last half of it. You're right. It's an A-B kind of thing. And then will you turn to 1 John 4, 19 and 20. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are in a great culture. Uh, repetitively, we have heard and heard again that we should get to know ourselves. We should have all the profiles, to thine own self be true. We should, we should, we should. The reality is that love is a verb, and it's very personal. It's very relational. It's very comprehensive. And love is the primary verb in the Scripture, and as a whole, in our language still. Wendell Berry, who is an American prophet, and if you have not read any of his books, I would encourage you to do that. He says about love, love is never abstract. It does not adhere to the universe or the planet or the nation or the institution or the profession, but to the singular sparrows of the street, like the lilies of the field the least of these, my brethren. And what God is calling us to do here, starting in Leviticus, and now I've asked Gracie to read something out of First John, is to love, and because we're talking about couples and marriage today, love others as you love yourself. Would you read that, Gracie? Mm-hmm. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Yeah, and that last phrase. And So it's very easy to say we love God. A lot of people do. And then they go out and treat others, especially those who we call our beloved, who we pledged our life to, um, until death do as we part. Next fall, we're going to do a series on marriage, and we're going to talk about staying and staying in life and staying in marriage. But we make these, and now many marriage ceremonies are eliminating it, that we do not um, marry till death do us part. We marry until, and you can fill in the blank there. Those of us who believe that God's plan for marriage is unique, almost impossible, certainly impossible without God, he calls us to live together till death do us part. And that means that we have to continue to love the very guy, the very woman, who does the very thing that annoys you the most, 
the very guy, the very woman who you live with for the rest of your life. Like, you, you can't get away. I, I, the old joke about I'd rather you die because I can't divorce you uh, is, is not so funny, but we feel that way sometimes. And I often say this. I don't know where you live or where you're listening to. If you're a married person, I want to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever thought one time that you like to divorce or get away from your husband. Please raise your hand. Well, if you haven't raised your hand, then maybe I want to say to you, you don't really know yourself. Because you want to get away from this guy at some time or another. So the cleaving word is a very theologically strong word. Hesed, attachment. We've talked a little about that this spring, about attachment, the child, the the attachment theories taught by John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth, and the styles of attachment with children. But the same style of attachment, hesed, God's love for us is the kind of cleaving and leaving we're talking about in marriage. We say yes till death do us part. And then we pluck out Leviticus 19 and 18 and we say, love God and love your spouse. Love God and love your spouse as you love yourself. It feels a little selfish sometimes when we think about how we love ourselves. And that's how I think God would like us to feel about loving our spouse, that we would love with a selfish love, a gargantuan love, a falling-over-the-top kind of love. Leaving and cleaving. It's not just about leaving your mama's home or your papa's home. It's not just changing your name or becoming one physically. It's about pledging for your life to love someone as you love yourself. Thank you for that. We are modern homemakers, and remember the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make today uncommon by spending a moment to think about how you are leaving and cleaving, becoming one with your spouse.